Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast as we enter this season uh, called Lent in the Church, where we are particularly um, thinking about the journey to Easter, but also reflecting on our own faith lives in this time that we sometimes um, call a season of repentance, where we reflect on the ways in which we have turned away from God and we want to do what we can to turn toward God. And of course, at times it means sacrifice and giving something up, while also, again, reminding us of our dependence on God. So here at Urban Village, we are doing a sermon series on forgiveness. And so we're launching that with this particular sermon. I'm going to read Psalm 8. Uh, Psalm 8, this has nine verses. So hear these words. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. Well, dog owners are not known for being unbiased about their Pooches, they tend to only see the good in them, and while they get exasperated with their occasional food snatching or shoe ruining or mud tracking, they love their dogs unconditionally. Our household is no different with our German shorthair pointer mix, Winnie. She really is a lovely dog, see my previous comment about not being unbiased, and gets along well with about 97% of the other dogs that she interacts with. But our family knows there are about three dogs in our neighborhood who, for whatever reason, Winnie just doesn't like. When we take Winnie for a walk and she sees one of these dogs, the hair stands up on her back and she starts barking at them. And the other dog often barks back. Of course, the dogs are on leashes, so it has never amounted to anything other than two canines yapping at each other across the street until a couple weeks ago. I was walking Winnie over the noon hour and one of those three dogs was across the street. The dogs started barking at each other, and I was pulling Winnie to get home when Winnie strained extra hard and the leash broke. I couldn't believe it. Winnie took off after her nemesis, and just as the dogs started tussling, I got there to pull Winnie away. I apologized to the other owner, who was strangely quiet, and just picked up her dog and walked away without saying a word. I felt awful and fell into that trap that many pet owners do of talking to their pet like they know what you're saying. What got into you, I asked Winnie as she looked up at me, wagging her tail. I couldn't understand it. How could such a sweet, lovely dog do such a thing? It's part of her nature, I suppose, but one that is a mystery to me. As we enter into this season of Lent, as I noted, we kick off a new sermon series called Sorry Not Sorry, What is True Forgiveness? Forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. It's a central part of the Lord's Prayer. For example, it's a consistent command from Jesus Some form of this word, forgive, shows up 17 times in the Gospel of Luke. And of course, one of the most powerful scenes in all of the Gospels is when Jesus is near death on the cross, and he utters the words in Luke 23, 24, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. 
But just because it shows up in a lot of the Gospels doesn't mean that it's easy to either give or receive forgiveness, especially in these days when conflict and fighting are so prevalent in our society. So we thought Lent would be a good time to explore forgiveness and what it means to our faith and our relationships. But before we get into the nature of forgiveness, which will come later in the series, it might be a good idea to take a step back and talk about why forgiveness is needed in the first place. That is, why do humans act in irrational, insensitive, sometimes hateful ways? Is it part of our nature or is it a conscious choice? Are there times when, like I did with my dog, we may look at ourselves or somebody else and say, what has gotten into you? How could such a seemingly lovely person do such a thing? Well, a good place to start is looking at Genesis 1, which we did during our last sermon series. Folks often point to this story of the first humans and categorize them as either pre-fall or after the fall. Were humans inherently good before the fall, before Adam and Eve ate of the apple in the garden? And now are they inherently not good? It's a question that philosophers and theologians have debated throughout human history. Are humans good or bad? For those who have a higher view of the nature of humanity, there are certain psalms in the Bible that we like to, or that they like to read and quote. So, for example, Psalm 139 verse 14 is a common go-to. It says, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All you have to do is go on your favorite search engine and type in Psalm 139.14, and there are all kinds of tattoos that people have put on their skins with this verse that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Today's psalm is another example of a fairly high view of humanity, particularly verse 5. It goes like this again, Yet you have made human beings a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Who doesn't like to be considered just a little lower than God? Who doesn't like to wear a crown? When we look at this passage, this psalm, it might be tempted, it might be tempting to skip to this central verse, this verse 5, what might be considered by some the good part of the psalm. If you ever watched a movie or read a book and you just want to skip to the good parts. I was reading an article the other day online that says that now the company Audible, for which we can download books on tape, or I guess there be books, audio books, and there is now something that you can uh, use that gets you to the good parts, especially when you read romance novels. I must confess I'm not a big romance novel, but I think I, I get what people are talking about. They want to get to the kind of steamy stuff. In fact, the company has what's called the Audible Romance package where people can binge to your heart's content. And in fact, there's a tool that says, take me to the good part, literally take me to the good part. And it offers listeners the option to jump to certain places in select audiobooks based on 10 categories like flirty banter or sexual tension or hot, hot, hot. So you can just skip all that other stuff and get to the good parts. And when we look at this Psalm, Psalm 8, we may just want to jump right to verse 5 where we get to the part where we talk about we are created just a little lower than the angels. We are crowned with glory and honor. But we do the psalm a disservice if we only focus on verse 5. 
it's important to note that there's a boundary of sorts around this psalm at verses 1 and 9. Again, it's the same verse at both places, and it goes, O Lord, how sovereign, how majestic is your name and all the earth. Just as in Genesis, we do well not to forget that though humanity was created and deemed very good, we are not the creator. And we get into trouble when we give ourselves that title. And we also do harm to ourselves and others when we think that we are at the center of the universe, like Psalm 8.5, and when we go beyond the boundaries of verses 1 and 9. Sometimes in the church, we call this sin. Though there are different words for sin in the scriptures, and we talk about this in our starting point at Urban Village, different Hebrew words for sin, like the Hebrew word chata'ah, which means to miss the mark, I came across a definition of sin a couple of years ago that I think is related to this. This is from the theologian James Allison, who says that sin is, addic- sin is an addiction to being less than ourselves. Sin is an addiction to being less than ourselves. And by that, I mean, I think God's desire is for us to be verse five, just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. That is when we are fully ourselves. But sometimes we want more than that, which ironically makes us less. We want to go beyond verse 5. We want to be verses 1 and 9. We want to be sovereign. We want others to say, how majestic is your name? But friends, I hate to break it to you. It won't happen. That verse in the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, says it pretty clearly that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There is only one God and only one creator. You and I are not it. And so we try, we break the boundaries, we go beyond verse 5 when we want to be God, and that harms us and harms others. We don't have to go very far in the Psalms to see examples of others going beyond the boundaries. The word wicked, when referring to another human, shows up 100 times in the Psalms. And we see it in the Psalm before Psalm 8. Here's an example. In Psalm chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. So here we see a psalmist is experiencing wickedness from another. And we see it after Psalm 8 in Psalm 9. Here's Psalm 9, verse 16. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The psalmists, those who wrote the Psalms, knew wickedness. They knew other individuals who went beyond the boundaries, who wanted to be almighty themselves and took things into their own hands, made themselves to be God and harmed others in the process. This is the tension that we live with, knowing that there is truth and goodness in Psalm 8.5 and knowing and experiencing the pain of boundary breaking when others hurt and harm us and wicked might be the only adjective we can use to describe it. If we're honest with ourselves, when we have acted wickedly, or I should say, when we're honest with ourselves, we must confess that we have acted wickedly ourselves. It's good to remember this when we ourselves need forgiveness, that we are not always boundary breakers, that we are crowned with glory and honor. But it's also good to remember when we need to forgive others, The people we're in relationship with are not always crowned with glory and honor. 
One uh, pastor sums it up this way, saying that the images of verse 3 in this psalm, and again, let me remind you what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, talking about God's wonderful creation, the images of verse 3 are so pungent as to be distracting. It is easy, too easy to hear or preach this psalm as though it were a paean to nature, a hymn about creation's beauty. Verses 4 and 5 pose a similar trap that can draw the preacher into a breathless essay on the nobility of humankind. In either case, the value, value of the psalm would be lost. The subject of the text and our praise is not the creation, but the creator. It is not humankind per se, but rather the one who endows humans with qualities that are a little lower than God. We don't have to think very hard, perhaps both in our own lives, when we may have think that we try to become the creator ourselves. We try to do things our way. We try to form others into our image, and we break trust. Perhaps we can think of times when we have broken boundaries. And certainly we can think of others in our lives who maybe have done that with us. In our society today, we read a lot about it, others who have broken boundaries. And certainly when we think about instances or examples of this, the church comes to the forefront. When we think about all of those who have been in pastoral authority authority and have uh, broken boundaries, have broken trust, have caused great harm, and it breaks my heart when this happens. It puts a stain on the church, certainly puts a stain on clergy. And it's a part of me that selfishly thinks that makes our job even harder because there's already a breaking trust for those when they look at the church and they assume that only those in the church, uh, that there are many, I should say there are many in the church that's all they do is to break trust and um go beyond the boundaries that have been created for us. But we not only look at these examples that make the news, but certainly we can think, as I noted, uh, of our own lives. And we can think of everyday ways, too, that we break trust, break promises. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts that I've mentioned many times before for illustrations, This American Life, and there was an episode a couple of weeks ago. This is not quite a as serious a story or example as maybe that we read in other parts of the news, but I think it speaks a little bit to something at times that just comes over us. So the story goes, there was a a bicycle race and there was a bicyclist named Ian Dilley. And when he raced uh, or when he was going to participate in this race, he was about 21 years old. This was a big deal. It was a national championship. And this was in Florida Ian grew up in Texas, and so when he was there, the roads were flat, he was humid outside, and he thought, you know, I feel pretty good today. I think I have a good shot at this thing. So the race started, and everyone raced aggressively. Now, Ian wasn't always a favorite in these races, but on this day, he was better than most. And at one point, he was leading, and he thought, I'm first. I have a shot. Now, in a bike race, if you've ever watched maybe the Tour de France, you notice that often people will change the lead Someone will take the lead for a while and break the wind and others will take turns because the person who's in the front works the hardest. Some people say that they work 30 to 50% harder than the other riders when they are in the lead and they are the ones who are uh, taking all of the wind for the others. 
So as Ian was biking, he noticed there was another guy who was right behind him, a guy named Mike Friedman. Now, Ian kind of knew about who Mike was, but he wasn't a favorite. So Ian thought he could just pedal harder and he would lose Mike. But Mike was uh, not having any of it this day and he was tenacious and kept coming back. So Ian started coasting, hoping that Mike would then take the lead. But Mike didn't do that either. And now Ian and Mike were in the lead. But as Ian coasted, the group behind them started to get closer and closer. And then Mike said something to Ian that haunted them for years after Mike said to him, you can win. Now, Ian heard this and he thought that Mike said, if you stop attacking me, if you stop trying to lose me, we can work together. And when we get to the finish line, you can win. That Mike would let him win. You can win. This kind of thing happens all the time in bicycle races. It's a truce. It's a strategy. So Ian thought that's what he meant. He went for it. So the gap between Mike and Ian and the rest of the um, pack behind them kept getting bigger and bigger. And so they were getting to the close to the finish line. And Ian said, I felt so happy. And so we were getting close to the finish line, or they were, and Ian turned to Mike and said, you remember our deal, right? And then at that moment, Mike started sprinting and Ian's legs cramped and Mike won. And Ian's dream turned into a nightmare. And Ian said that his disbelief turned into rage and Ian biked up to him and hit him on the back and said, what the heck? Except he didn't say heck. He couldn't believe that Mike did that to him. The winner won this jersey with stars and stripes. And normally at a bike race, the three top finishers are there on the stand and everyone raises their arms, but Ian didn't raise his arm. In fact, Ian told a reporter, Mike cheated. Later, Mike said there was no deal. There was confusion. Mike said that what he meant was, if we work together on this, you can win. Meaning you could win, not that I'm going to let you win. Ian didn't believe him. Years went on and Ian raced professionally, becomes a journalist. Mike actually becomes an Olympian. But over the years, they kind of avoided each other. But Ian kept hearing about Mike. And one thing that he kept hearing was that Mike was beloved by many. In fact, he had a nickname, Meatball. And everybody loved Meatball. And Ian would tell the story to people and people would say, that doesn't sound like something that Meatball would do. But this race stayed like a thorn in Ian's side. And he knew it sounds so immature and so small. But as Ian said, it's weird how you cling to these things. So 15 years later, Ian, the journalist, is covering a race and he's on a bus with lots of, of other bicycle riders. And they're in uh, the town where Mike lives. And so somebody said, let's give Mike a call. So Mike came on the bus and they kind of avoided each other at first, but then Mike had a tray of coffees and he gave Ian one and Mike kind of wanted to talk and he said he thinks about the race all the time. And then Mike tells the story that Ian's lower lip started to shake. But even in that moment, Mike didn't fully fess up. And in this podcast, then Mike begins to reflect about that day when he broke that promise and he confessed that indeed he knew what he was doing. He said, I wasn't even thinking. He said he saw the finish line in sight, but before he could stop it, before he knew it was wrong, he just went ahead and did it. And Mike said, it's the only time I ever cheated. Mike continued saying, it changed how I saw myself. The one thing I had done wrong. He didn't race for a couple of years. He hit rock bottom. He thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. After his cycling career was done, he said his life sort of tanked. His marriage ended, hit bottom, and he was living in a camper on his friend's land one day when he realized what he needed to do. 
And so he reached out to Ian and he realized, he said he missed the opportunity on the bus that one time. So Ian finally, or Mike finally reached out to Ian and Mike pulled up in his truck and he handed Mike the jersey and he said, I'm sorry. And in fact, Ian said that Mike even went to uh, different um, cycling organizations to try to get their results changed because of how he felt what he's doing. There's a passage in Romans, I mentioned earlier, Romans, that says that, uh, all fall, that all sin, all fall short of the glory of God. There's another part of Romans. Now, some scholars kind of debate about what Paul is talking about here. In fact, I'm going to I'm turning into it here right now. And Paul talks about what sin is and sometimes how sin works in our lives and we do something that we can't quite understand. And so, in fact, verse 15, this is Romans 7, 15, Paul says, I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And I think sometimes that is the story for all of us. It was the story of Mike. He was 17 years old and he said he kind of knew in his mind. He had told Ian that he'd let him win, but something came over him and he went for it and broke the promise. Mike, seemingly a great guy. Everybody said how great Mike is, how great Meatball is. But on that day, something happened and he did something. He couldn't quite understand it. He broke the boundaries. Maybe we can all relate a little bit to this. We'll talk in the next few weeks about what apology looks and feels like, and we'll talk about forgiveness and how hard that can be. But it starts with someone breaking a boundary, going beyond themselves and allowing their own will to be done rather than God's. We've all done it. And some boundary breaking is more serious, certainly, than others. But whether we've done it ourselves or had it done to us, it hopefully provides hope and strength in knowing that I am not sovereign, that neither are you, that God is. So may that be a reminder in the times when we break that boundary, when we make ourselves to be God, and we realize, indeed, we are created a little lower than the angels, and so we can receive grace and forgiveness. And when someone harms us and hurts us, and at times that can be a long process, and we'll talk a lot about this over the next few weeks, but also remembering that they too like us, break boundaries. And maybe first acknowledging that can help us toward the road to grace and forgiveness. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening, uh, as always, to this podcast. Uh, next week, our student pastor uh, at our site at Urban Village will be preaching, so I get uh, this coming week off. Um, but I will be back on the 24th, and as always, you can next week tune in or download some of the other sermons from our uh, other pastors. You can reach out to me at christiancoon.com or email christian at urbanvillagechurch.org and look at the different ways that um, you can find out about my other podcast and my book and everything else. So until the next time that we connect, may the peace of Christ be with you.